On today's episode of Inside the Nest, we're joined by Emery Hunt, the founder of Football Game Plan. He also writes for The Athletic and appears on the CBS Sports Network, covering the college ranks from the D3 ranks all the way up to FBS, the NFL as well for The Athletic. And a lot of his work on football game plan is centered around draft prospects. He knows the game for a while and he gives us insights into the FCS and the Atlanta Falcons, so two areas of his expertise. I'm your host, Nolan Alexander. Inside the Nest is brought to you by Fifth Third Bank, the official bank of Kennesaw State Athletics. Fifth Third Bank, working hard to make banking a Fifth Third better. Visit 53.com for more information. So before we jump into the interview with Emory, I want to go on ahead and address the news that came out today with the Big South announcing the postponement of the fall football season targeting a spring 2021 season. Personally, me, I'm sad. Uh, I'm sad. I was looking forward to KSU playing a full schedule in the fall or whatever schedule that it was allowed to play. Do I understand the decision? Yes. Am I at peace with the decision? Yes. But overall, I know there was a lot of excitement building up for KSU in its 2020 season, and I think that excitement will return when we have an idea of what all unfolds and what a possible spring season would look like because everything that we were excited about for this fall is still going to be there when the spring schedule is formed and finalized and we have a better idea of where we stand with everything. Overall, it, yeah, me personally, I'm sad. I was really excited for Al's football here in the fall of 2020. So we'll see what the future holds. But right now I want to bring on Emery Hunt. He is uh, knowledgeable of the FCS for many, many years. If you haven't heard of his website, Football Game Plan, I encourage you to check it out. He goes through in-depth analysis of every single NFL prospect. I don't just mean draft prospects. I'm talking about free agent signings as well. You can take the Atlanta Falcons most recently and goes through all of their free agent signings, not just the those that played in FBS school, but those that played at FCS and the lower division ranks as well. I think you'll enjoy some of his answers about the sport in general, KSU, and then his future thoughts for the FCS. It's something that I didn't consider. So let's go on ahead and bring on Emory Hunt here on Inside the Nest. Emory, thank you so much for joining us on Inside the Nest. Uh, I've been a fan of yours since my previous job at Bethune-Cookman when I uh, saw that you were an analyst calling us some Howard football games, got to know your website football game plan, and I don't think that there's anyone out there that does as much research on draft prospects and team signings outside of the FBS level than you. I think you're one of the best uh, hustlers when it comes to information and grinding out a lot of truth on some of these prospects that don't get the same glamour that you see on ESPN day after day. So I'm excited to speak to you about a lot of things with football. I'll start out by saying, have you ever been a part of so many pertinent decisions within the sport in such a short time frame? Oh man, not, not at all. And, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate the kind words you said about, you know, the work I do and football game plan, it, it definitely means a lot. But I, I can only compare what's going on now to when I was in college playing ball when 9-11 hit and all the decisions that had to be made prior to that, that, that 
week's game. And we were supposed to play Central Florida that week. Um, and that game got moved to the end of the season. But, you know, it was touch and go the whole week of, are we going to play? Are they going to move the game? Are they going to cancel the game? Will they cancel the season? Or We didn't know what was going on. But that still doesn't – that pales in comparison to what these guys are going through right now in a global pandemic. So, But that would be the only thing that I can compare – this era or this time right now uh, that we're experiencing. You've watched the FCS for many years and you've been a college football analyst covering Howard, covering Georgetown, and I know other games as well. What are some of the biggest trends that you've noticed within the FCS over the last handful of years? And I'm excited about the trends that I've seen. And the biggest one is that they have amped up on recruiting and, you know, we're finally starting to see, the fallback from the 85 scholarship limit that uh, the NCAA levied on teams at the upper level uh, in the early 80s, because now guys are, are you know, the, they can't all just stockpile talent. I know the thing was when Pitt was, you know, winning national championships with Tony Dorsett and company, they used to have 200 players on their roster and, you know, they just sign guys to keep Penn State from signing guys. And so you have a roster full of guys on scholarship that aren't even playing. Well, once they put that limit out there, now you start to see the, the talent trickle down. That is one element. The other element that, that you see now uh, is TV. I remember growing up, you only saw maybe like eight or nine teams on TV. And that used to be the big recruiting uh, chip that, hey, we play on TV every Saturday. You can see us every Saturday. Now everyone is on TV or some sort of streaming device. So you lose that bargaining chip. So now you have, a let's say, a team like Kennesaw State that feels as though it can go toe-to-toe in recruiting with the Georgia State, with the Georgia Southern, with the Georgia Tech, and, and really steal some recruits. And a lot of these FCS programs, kids, because kids nowadays have more options, they're they're getting more exposed to these programs. Social media has really uh, shrank the country and allowed, you know, Kennesaw State to go out and compete with a school out west, you know, in California. When someone in California may not have heard of Georgia, you know, now they know that Kennesaw State exists and they're putting Kennesaw State in the same breath as they are, let's say, a a San Jose state. So because the country has gotten smaller and everyone has the same resources now as far as like being tech savvy and really putting their team out there, getting exposure, it has, you know, leveled the field, in my opinion, as far as being able to go out and get access to those recruits that, because people think of the power five in recruiting, but they don't realize the group of five and the FCS are essentially one big group, in my opinion. And so you're recruiting a, a lot of the same kids, and therefore you have a chance to get better. And I think also what the third part is, when you look at the coaching that's going on at the FCS level, I think it has significantly increased, which leads to the development of these players once they get them in. Because that that's the difference to me from FBS and FCS is a development. A lot of guys, FBS are getting you know, ready-made players, um, so you may not have a lot of development, but the FCS are getting guys that may be a little bit too small, maybe a half step slow, um, but they're getting them into a program. The strength and conditioning program is growing, and guys are developing into uh, players. Let's say, for instance, you look at Adam Troutman when he probably was coming out of high school, 
probably was a tall, lanky, slow receiver. He goes to Dayton. He gets acclimated to college strength and conditioning. Nutrition, kids are eating out three meals a day uh, consistently. So now he grows into his frame, still has wide receiver skills, but now he's a, a more fit player and has turned into an excellent tight end. Had he gone to an FBS program, he probably wouldn't have gotten that same development. And the coaches at the FCS level are usually there for five to six years. So they're getting the same message, the same system, the same coaching, the same voice in their head, and the same they're working on the same things over and over and over again. So you're seeing a much more developed product coming out of the FCS, which is why you're seeing more upsets, more competitive games between the FCS and FBS. And I'm excited to see that trend up. I've seen that happen since I started football game plan from 07 to now. The FCS, I feel as though, has really jumped. And now you can just, when you talk about group of five, you might as well talk about group of FCS because I think all of that is one and the same. Those are very interesting points that I concur with and uh, I haven't heard articulated as well in the FCS, Mark, so uh, I think those are good. What are your thoughts on how quickly Kennesaw State has grown as a program? You know what's interesting about um, – and, and I love football, and I love when programs start football because people always you know, believe that football is the uh, front gate to your university, which is so true. It is. And football makes you a big program. Um, everyone always asks, first thing, oh, are you going to so-and-so school? Do you have a football team? That's all they ask. You know, they don't ask about anything else, but do you have a football team? Um, and so when Kennesaw started their program, they're in prime real estate. You know, Georgia has tremendous high school football. You see that with uh, Kennesaw State, Georgia State, um, Mercer, all these programs that are fairly new that have gotten good right away and competitive. And so for Kennesaw being a, a really big school um, and being able to be competitive right away, it speaks to the high school talent in the state. It also speaks to uh, the university's ability to buy into a program and say, you know what, we're starting a football program. We're not just doing this to get you know, heads in beds. We're doing this to really be good at it. And it shows you the – I think Kennesaw has a, laid out a good blueprint for how to start a program at the FCS level and how to be competitive and really sustain that success. And, you know, you watch what Kennesaw has done with their, with their program, developing guys, guys that, are, that have had pro opportunities, um, and they're running the triple option, which is always the, the offense you run to try to neutralize the talent gap from – you know, certain schools, but they've, you know, now they've built the brand. They've developed it so well to where teams are now not wanting to play Kennesaw State. And this is all fascinating to see from a young, you know, essentially infant program. I mean, Kennesaw State is not 10 years old. You know, it's not even seven years old, I don't think. And so to watch them grow from what they, from initially a conversation to poof, becoming an FCS power, you know, competing deep into the playoffs, it, that's impressive. And all the way around from the administration to uh, the coaches they were able to hire to the players they were able to recruit and the constant buy-in from the university, Kennesaw State is doing it right. And I hope more schools uh, that are thinking about it um, really take notice like your, your, uh, 
your VCUs, I know, was talking about football. You look down in um, Louisiana, University of New Orleans was talking about football, and people wonder if it's done. You see it done in Florida with West Florida jumping on the scene and becoming a national champion. Uh, they're about, their football program is just about as young as Kennesaw State's uh, program. So uh, you see it can be done if everyone in the university buys into football being important and not just football being an entity of, you know, sports, using it as a tool to recruit and get more students and more people interested. They call it the Flutie effect. You know, when when uh, Flutie won the Heisman, more people applied to Boston College because of what Flutie was able to do on a football field. And so that's a direct correlation to having successful football programs or athletic programs um, and leading to enrollment and more of a showcase for the school. So Kennesaw is one of those blueprint um, uh, programs that people can look toward if they're thinking about starting football. Before we shift gears and, and talk about the Atlanta Falcons, to wrap up our thoughts on college football, I want you to put your psychic hat on and I want you to peer into your crystal ball. By the time the incoming freshmen are seniors, let's go four years from now, What's the future of the FCS and the FBS in uh, a po hopeful post-COVID-19 world? I think we'll see more. Uh, I think we'll see more FCS teams. I think we'll. I, people think you know this situation that we're going into, where we're in now, is going to crush so many programs. They're going to shut down. Now. I think we'll see more programs continue to add football, um, and I think we'll see the FCS become more of a big player on a national scale. Um, and I think one of the test studies that we were seeing and seeing how significant it has been for them, look at the Celebration Bowl and what that has done for both the MEAC and SWAC. I know the MEAC is losing players, uh, losing uh, teams like crazy, but look at what it has also done for the SWAC. They're adding teams and they have a significant plan to really grow as, a, as one to either make the FCS stronger and they showed an opportunity to create perhaps more bowl games. I know the Ivy League has talked about bowl games. So I think what we'll see four years from now is a few more FCS teams and a few more bowl games putting the FCS on uh, par with the FBS as far as, hey, we're going to have our bowl games and our playoffs too, just strengthening that, that FCS brand. And at the end of the day, making it cool to go to FCS programs for these high school students that's going to decide, you know what, maybe I don't go to uh, Miami of Ohio. I'd rather go to Youngstown State and because I know I can go there and then go to a bowl game or play in the playoffs just like I would if I was going to Miami of Ohio. We'd like to take a moment to thank our healthcare partner, Wellstar Health System at Wellstar. Their mission is to enhance the health and well-being of every person they serve. Their vision is to deliver world-class health care to every person, every time. Inside the Nest also thanks our proud partner, Coca-Cola, for being the beverage choice of KSU Athletics events. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. If you're new to Inside the Nest, we drop a fresh edition of the pod every single week, and the easiest way to get access is to subscribe. It's available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Visit ksuals.com slash podcast for all the links or search KSU Owls on your podcast app. Let's get back to it. It's Emory Hunt from Football Game Plan on Inside the Nest.
So let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. I know uh, a lot of your time now is spent getting ready for the NFL draft and then focusing on the NFL now as far as fantasy and, and other player evaluations. Let's go back to the NFL draft that, uh, I'll be honest, Emery, it seems like it was last year. It doesn't seem like that it was in May. Uh, you were pretty high on A.J. Terrell, and here in the Atlanta media market, there were mixed reviews. What were your thoughts on the Falcons draft? I thought Atlanta did really well, man. You talk about Terrell and Davison, and I'm a big fan of Michael Walker and what he was able to do at Fresno State. You, you see what they were doing there, and you know, Atlanta is not – a bad football team, you know, and the fact that they got better defensively, uh, got a little bit more athletic, they got healthier. Terrell, to me, is a real good corner, you know, and people, and it's a shame, and this is why players don't play a lot, because people look at the LSU game, and that's their lasting image of him against LSU, and chalk it up, he can't cover. That's one game, and he was in position, and a guy just sometimes great plays are nullified by greater plays. So you can't knock him for, you know, losing a battle one-on-one. Sometimes it happens. But overall, his whole entire season, he was a really good corner. Um, and I think that's something that people need to focus on, you know, the, the 11 games that he played well and not the one game where he had his ups and downs. So I thought that was a fantastic pick. They needed help at corner, um, and they got one of the best ones in the draft. I thought Michael Walker is a guy that, that gives them another uh, – Oluokin, you know, he could play across the board. He was really good at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Um, and playing at Fresno State, they played a lot of those bigger games. And he was always the one that stood out defensively, especially against USC. Um, and so I, I thought they did really well. And they just added good talent that's ready to go day one um, in, the, in throughout their draft. And that's already building on what looks to be a talented roster. And the biggest thing we saw from the Falcons, and I mentioned it in our preview video, is the fact that, we saw them get better defensively once they made Raheem Morris a DC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that defense turned it around quickly. And when you come you have a, a an active athletic defense that's playing well with the Falcons offense, um they are a team that you could see, and that's why the NFC South is what it is. The Falcons, it wouldn't surprise me to see them win that division um or finish third, because that's how good the division is. But the Falcons are not a bad football team. They got significantly better, in my opinion, over the um, the offseason. How do you feel about some of the free agent additions? How do you think Gurley's going to factor in this season? What about Hayden Hurst? Is he a sleeper? Hayden Hurst is, is good, man. And, you know, it's just that he was in a situation in Baltimore where there's a lot of playmakers and it's tough to, you know, spread the ball around. You see this a lot with teams that stack talent at certain positions, like the Rams at receiver, uh, the Rams at tight end. Denver is probably going to have an issue with that with all the talent that they have at receiver. Um, so he's going to get an opportunity to be the guy, the solo guy at that position in Atlanta. He should thrive. Um, and Gurley, if healthy, gives something they hadn't had since, you know, uh, Michael Turner. You know, if, if you really think about it, like somebody that's consistent, that's going to be that pace setter in the run game, but he's going to be explosive. If he is healthy, he's going to be explosive in the run game, another outlet receiver in the passing game along with a tight end and what they have at receiver, Atlanta's offense is going to be, you know, clicking on all cylinders. Mm. So you have listed on your site, you you say in 2012, I was the only person I know who graded Russell Wilson as a first round talent and predicted he would start from day one. 
Uh, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of brag on yourself a little bit. Is there anyone over the past, uh, let's say the couple of years, that from the FCS level that you were really high on that no one else was and ended up being uh, a pretty solid evaluation? Tariq Cohen. Um, mm. and, and during that running back class, my top running backs in the draft were uh, Leonard Fournette, um, I want to say Christian McCaffrey. It was Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Kareem Hunt, uh, Tariq Cohen, and I forgot who I had fifth. Uh, but it was funny because people were like, why are you so high on Tariq Cohen? Like, this is a small dude from the FCS, from an HBCU conference. And I remember after week two, I believe, or week three, NFL.com ran a uh, – they had a – they did an article on – the kid, I was, it was like a play on Rugrats, but it was talking about the top running backs, the rookie running backs in the league. And mm-hmm. it was exactly my five that I had uh, graded, you know, from Cohen to Hunt to, um, to McCaffrey and Fournette. All five were doing great. And and so that's one where people didn't understand why I had him rated so high. I was like, man, if, if – I always say this. If you're good enough, you're big enough. And, you know – it doesn't matter where you play because certain things translate speed translates quickness, agility, the ability to make somebody miss all that translates. And when you watch Tariq Cohen and, and from just from that vacuum or from that prism, nothing you saw him do there wasn't going to translate to the pro level. In fact, there was one play in particular that, that kind of echoed that point home. It was when they played North Carolina. And they ran a sprint draw, which is right down the middle of the defense. And he was able to make two guys miss, cut back across the field for like a 60-yard gain. And he did not get touched the entire play. He stepped out of bounds at the end. And so he ran through an ACC defense, making people miss, cutting through the, the line of scrimmage, and did not get touched. So that shows you right there, like – it doesn't matter where you play. And, you know, so um, he would be the most recent case, I believe, just off the top of my head of a guy coming from the FCS level that um, that really stood out that people didn't even talk about. You know, you, people love to go to these websites or they go to the same outlets. Um, you know, that's why and, and I, I put things out there just because sometimes I like to be the needler. You know, I like the needle sometimes when – you look at what people say about players and they're, and they're just regurgitating what they heard from somewhere else. Like mm-hmm. everyone right now is putting quarterbacks in their mock drafts going to Carolina as if they didn't sign Teddy Bridgewater, who was 5-0 and last year with New Orleans, and as if they didn't sign the XFL MVP and P.J. Walker, who also thrived and played for their current head coach and uh, Matt Rule. So why would you put a quarterback in Carolina? They're set at quarterback. So – I just I just like to – I don't say it for the sake of being different. I always have been the one to say what I feel, right, wrong, or indifferent. I always rather be wrong by myself than wrong in a group because at least it shows I was thinking independently, and that's what has gotten us to where we are right now at Football Game Plan. Did you call Russell Wilson Mr. Unlimited back in 2012? Mr. Unlimited? No, I said – what I said was – I said he's the guy – right, that, that video is ridiculous. But he was – he was it, it, it just blows my mind. Like, because I liked Russell Wilson at NC State, but the NC State Russell Wilson 
and the Wisconsin Russell Wilson are two totally different players. He was much more polished. So it was like, yo, he cleaned up the, the roughness around his game in just an offseason at Wisconsin. He was, what, two Hail Marys away from playing in the national championship game? So they lost two games that year on Hail Marys. Otherwise, they went undefeated. So he would have got Wisconsin to the national title game in just one year. They haven't had a quarterback like Russell Wilson ever. And so um, to me, that was – I always am – it's funny when you look at it from, like, wow, you were the only one saying this about Lamar Jackson being the number one quarterback in the draft. But I'm like, man, that's – those are layups. Like, how could how could you not? You know, so I'm always amazed at some of the stuff that people latch on to and, and say when, to me, it just seems like it should be obvious – that Lamar Jackson was the number one quarterback in the draft class, or um, you know, if you're gonna if you're the Browns with the first and fourth pick, I would take Saquon number one and then take Lamar at number four and lead the league in rushing and offense for the next decade. Like mm-hmm. to me, that was like common sense. Let's move on to something different um, and something more difficult. But here we are. So I want to wrap it up with two questions. One, uh, when Googling you earlier, I came across this story and I was very jealous of this and I never saw a story that was the follow-up. So I want to know how it went. Back in 2016, you called an FCS doubleheader. You called Columbia, Georgetown, and D.C. And then you went to Baltimore to call Howard and Morgan State. One, what a day. Two, how awesome you had to call two college football games at the same time. Three, I'm worn out after calling one game. I don't know how you had the energy to muster two. What was that day like being an analyst for two Division One games? Bro, and it was funny. That was 2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or I did it again last year, 2018. I did it Really? Again. Yeah. So I, I did Georgetown and Lehigh and then uh, Morgan State. And um, I believe they played either um, – Howard again, or I think it may have been Central, but it was two games, two two different day, two different uh, stadiums, two different cities, and you know two different broadcasts, two different networks. But it was it was interesting. The first the first time I did it, um, it was it was fun because everybody was was a part of it. You know, like the two broadcast networks uh, were like, okay, yeah, this would be cool. You know, let's let's make this work. Let's do it. And the schedule worked out perfectly because Georgetown, I believe, kicked off at noon. Um, and then Morgan State was at seven, which is not a problem. Uh, but it was a lot of preparation for, you know, for four teams, two games. So you really – and working with two different crews. So you have to be in different mindset when you're, when you're dealing with two broadcasts in a day. And it had never been done before football-wise. I know Bill Raftery did it uh, in basketball. But football, it had never been done. So I was like, you know, I get a chance to do something that's – I could get to be the first on something. Hmm. And so just preparing for four teams um, in two different – in, you know, uh, two different spots of the season, uh, different opponents. It was, it, was, it was fun. I loved the challenge, and we made it work. Now, the second one um, was – and the first – I think the first time I got there, the first, the first time I did it, I – I got to uh, – there was traffic going from, as you can expect, going from D.C. to Baltimore on 95. And so I got stuck in a little traffic, but I was able to get to Morgan State, get the headset on, get in the press box at 624, and the game kicked off at 7. So I was able to get there in time 
do my opening, you know, intro with the with the play by play guy and have a smooth broadcast. Now the second time I did it, you know, pressing my luck because you know, I did it the first time. It's not a problem. We 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 have enough time. Georgetown finds themselves embattled, uh, enthralled in a in a thriller. It goes into overtime. Oh, and I'm no. like, oh crap. <laughs> so it's like, man, they go into overtime. I'm like, all right, I still got enough time, but they went to a second overtime. But the good part is, I'm like, all right, man, I gotta go. And so that's the beauty of having a, at Georgetown. We had a three man booth, so I was able to step out in the second overtime and hot tail it up to Baltimore and get there at about six thirty, six thirty five. Uh, put the headset on and do the intro and call the game. But I was like, just my luck, Georgetown would be in a thriller and going to double overtime. And by the time I got to Morgan State, I'm listening to the game on uh, on uh, on uh, radio. And by the time I got to the stadium, Georgetown ends up winning the game in the third overtime. I'm just like, my goodness, you know. But just my luck. So I, I mean, I want to. It, it's fun. No one has done it then or since and I, I want to be able to do a third in a day um if 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 it could uh if we could make it work i could i could probably do three games in one day it can be done you know it has to be strategically placed uh but it can definitely be done hey if spring football comes to fruition i'm, I'm there's a chance of that you you could have an athletics department's got to play an early football game, and you could have a ten two and seven one day. <laughs> exactly, and that's and that would be that would be awesome. Do three games in one day, three different cities, three different networks. Like who can say they they they've done that? I might have to have three meals after that if I was in your shoes, just to make up for all that <laughs> well, energy. I slept, I just I slept good. I slept really good um, that night, but I had to pop up early and go to you know because I also cover. Uh, the NFL as well. So I had to be up the next morning early to get to MetLife because it was a Giants or a Jets game, I believe. Wow. Emery, we appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on Inside the Nest. And we look forward to following your work on football game plan and athletic and, and everywhere that you're involved covering the college and NFL this season. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Good luck this season or in the spring or in the fall. Big, big thanks to Emery for joining us on Inside the Nest. And I can go on and tell you we're going to have Emery back on in the future. When we get closer to some of the owls that have their sights set on the professional ranks, whenever that time comes that they're ready to put their name into the hat, we'll bring Emery back and get his thoughts there in the future. Inside the Nest is brought to you by Fifth Third Bank, the official bank of Kennesaw State Athletics. Fifth Third Bank, working hard to make banking a fifth third better. Visit 53.com for more information. So with everything going on in college athletics with the announcement of the Big South today, the best way to stay up to date with everything going on related to KSU athletics, not just football, but every single fall sport, is to keep your eyes on KSUowls.com and make sure you are following us on all of our Twitter feeds and liking our Facebook page as well. I'm Nolan Alexander. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, go Owls.